Welcome, I'm Paul Hunt. This is a special edition feature interview produced for download by Energy News. It was late September when ASX-listed Melbana Energy started drilling, or SPUD, its oil exploration well in Cuba. The Alameda One well is targeting three prospects, which have the potential to deliver 141 million barrels of oil, worth trillions on current oil prices. The company's seen a huge share price rise since, and there's good chance it will rise higher. Let's find out where Melbana is now. Our guest is Andrew Purcell, Executive Chair. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hey Paul, good to chat to you again. Some major events have happened uh, since we last talked. Uh, You closed your uh, divestment of an offshore asset in Western Australia. Uh, Tell me about that and what you've received in turn. Well, we sold our permit WA488P, which is a shallow water offshore permit containing a prospect we defined and called Beehive, which was an isolated carbonate buildup. And we sold it to a US Fortune 500 firm out of Houston, a $50 billion enterprise value firm. And it's their country entry for them, EOG uh, resources, uh, which is very exciting for the industry in Australia, but particularly exciting to have this prospect drilled at last. Um, we got paid seven and a half million US up front, which is very handy, walking around money. Uh, but the real game is the drilling of that well, which they will now entirely fund, which they're working towards having planned and permitted for drilling by the late next year in the drilling season, potentially early the year after. Uh, and look, we think, and the independent reserve experts confirmed, it has a 400 million barrel best case um, prospective resource. But these carbonate buildups, which haven't been tested in Australia, when they do get tested and when they work elsewhere in the world are responsible for some of the world's largest fines of hydrocarbons. So the upper estimates, 1.4 billion barrels uh, on this buildup. If, if they're successful, we get paid a royalty of uh, $10 million for every 25 million barrels they produce. So, you know, the, the potential is enormous, but, you know, it's got to be drilled and it's got to be found first. Let's turn to your other projects now. Uh, could we? Could you start by giving us a bit of insight into Alameda One and give us some context of the well and and the targets? Yeah, Alameda One is they're both onshore wells that we're doing in Cuba. Our permit is onshore, about two hours east of Havana. Uh, we started drilling it um, in early September. You know, we, are, in this case, are ourselves and our partner, the uh, National Oil Company of Angola. They're writing most of the checks, which we're very appreciative for. Uh, but we're the operator, so we're the people responsible for the operations and the cost controls. And uh, drilling started strongly, and we have three prospects that we had defined in this first well. We're testing three different areas of interest uh, that were defined in part because of offset wells that had made discoveries nearby and flowed oil to the surface previously. Uh, so we're going back in to see all, what happened there. But you know, almost as soon as we started drilling, uh, we, we entered an oil interval that continued for six, 600 plus metres uh, in an area where <laughs> wasn't one of our prospects. So, you know, that was a bonus and uh, we're very excited by that. Uh, and we're doing work on what that means for not only this well, but for that entire upper sheet area across our two and a half thousand kilometre block now that we know that this occurred in the upper sheet on this well. Um, 
we got past that zone and then we uh you know we started to encounter some pressure uh which is you know it's it's it, it's 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 harder work drilling into pressure you've got to balance your muds up you've got to make considerations about managing the pressure and not damaging the formation and uh and we had expected the pressure from the offset wells but it came at us about 300 meters uh higher or shallower than we were expecting it so it you know became a bit of a game of you know managing the pressure and but you know pressure is what you want Paul. when when you manage when you're drilling for oil and gas you, you want to see that because it you know it, it it gives the the pressure is what allows you to recover the hydrocarbons if they exist there and uh so getting that good pressure getting all the hydrocarbons that we already did above but then you know the gas influxes and the oil influxes and these pr higher pressure zones it's a you know it's a so far, very good. So far, exciting. Uh, block nine, uh, how big is it and, and what do you know about it already? Well, it's 2,500 square kilometres. So it's enormous uh, in context of the type of permit that one would normally get given. It's on trend on Cuba's uh, prolific northern coastline hydrocarbon zone where they produce their 45,000 barrels a day of oil. Uh, it's adjacent to the Varadero field, which was an 11 billion barrel field discovery 20 years ago. Um, but we don't know a lot about what's in Block 9. There's the offset wells I mentioned earlier that were drilled that recovered oil. Um, there's some seismic lines, several different vintage of 2D seismic lines, but not a lot. Um, and they're all concentrated up in that sort of northwest corner of the block near the existing oil industry and discovery. So... The rest of the runway of the block is ahead of us, um, and it's now looking and, and there are oil seeps all through it. We've noticed that, so it's an incredibly prospective runway of projects. But you know, we're we're here and we're starting with this and looking at the oil we've found, and you know, we're thinking about what happens next there. You've just restarted drilling Alameda One. Um, how deep are you now? Um, and when do you expect to hit your targets? Well, we've we haven't actually restarted drilling quite yet, Paul. We've we've start restarted operations. We've had some of the mud materials arrive in country um, about now, actually. You know, the first couple of bags of deliveries arrived today in Cuba, so we're just getting everything ready now. The mud weight set, the you know the cement cord has to be you know, plug has to be drilled out. Um, when do we? expect to get to our targets well i think we're in a target at the moment mm. you know we we right before we stopped drilling uh, last month we we went through you know i already mentioned the high pressures but we went through a, a shale zone called the serpentinite and as soon as we went through that shale zone you know the the gas came at us the, the pressure came at us even more so so we think that was good evidence that this serpentinite is acting like a, a functioning seal of what's below so uh, 18, 90 odd meters. You know, we did, we got a bit past that serpent tonight. So we've got to 18, 90 meters. That's where we are. And, uh, you know, drilling ahead is, uh, you know, we're all very keen because yeah. of, you know, the, the, the taste we got before we had to, you know, cautiously put a hold on things while we waited for the, the materials to come to ensure we can continue to control this well. 
You're listening to Energy News. Melbourne Energy's Executive Chair Andrew Purcell is with me for this episode. Andrew, um, while you've been drilling Alameda One, uh, which we've discussed, which we've discussed in depth uh, now, what's the progress been of uh, Zapato One, the other well in your two well campaign? Well, though we're on pad development work there. Well, actually, the pad's been completed. Uh, the road access is uh, being improved. We'll probably wait a little bit now because Zapato starts immediately after Alameda. And now that we've had this standby period in Alameda, Zapato's anticipated start date's been commensurately pushed back a bit. So, you know, digging the water wells and the conductor cellars and things like that, that's, you know, if we're not going to be there soon, it, it does have a potential for an HSC as hazard having those pits around. So, you know, we'll, we'll kick that down the road a bit, but uh, that, that's ready to go. We're essentially ready to go once we finished Alameda and we move the rig over there. Can you talk to the targets that Zapata was chasing? Well, it's only a single target that we were able to define in Zapata, but it's an incredibly interesting one because there is about 20 kilometres away from where we're drilling at the moment. Historically, at surface, there was the Matembo oil field, and it was a very, very light crude, which is extraordinarily unusual for Cuba. I mean, I'm up to 60 plus API light crude. And the the source of that oil has never been found. There were a few wells drilled historically looking for it. Uh, but you know, when we position them with the seismic and our analysis, we can see these very large, well, two particular, two very large structures um, that could be in the right position to be the source for this historic oil field. And those previous offset wells, neither of them drilled deep enough to hit these structures. So we're going for the one that we've called the Zapato structure, and we're going to go straight into the apex of it. Um, and it's a you know 1,000 metre interval, it looks to us, from the seismic. So it's a one-shot well, straight vertical, straight down, um, 95 million barrels, best estimate, if, if we're right. The success at Alameda 1 so far, I mean, you've already hit uh, hydrocarbons uh, on your way down. It, does that give you confidence for Zapato 1 as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, you know, 20 kilometres away. And this, this large Zapato structure that I just mentioned, it was defined on a gravity anomaly and because it's so big. Mm-hmm. And the, I mentioned earlier the Varadero oil field just across the fence to our, our Block 9 acreage, the 11 billion barrel Varadero oil field. That was identified on a gravity anomaly initially. So there's a lot of corollaries and uh, the historic oil fields and piecing it all together. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a good prospect. You mentioned uh, that some of the oil fields nearby have encountered light oil, light crude. What's what's the importance behind that? Lighter crude is more valuable because uh, it has more uses and uh, has fewer deleterious elements to it. Um, uh, it's cleaner, so trades at a premium. Things are looking pretty exciting for Melbana in the short to mid term, uh, but if you strike your huge resources, I mean Zapato's ninety five million barrels, and how much is Alameda? One hundred and thirty two. Or 435 across all three of the prospects we're looking at. So those are elephant-sized targets. What what's the plan to get this oil to market? Well, we're, we've got a plan um, that would 
begin with as simply as possible, wanting to determine the commerciality of the of the discoveries if there is a commercial amount of oil there. Um, look, putting in a putting one of these wells on, onto an extended flow test uh, initially, something as simple as that probably, uh, because you're proximate to market and you can just get a sense of the volume and how the pressure behaves over time, what the volume of the reservoir is, by just putting on a bit of an extended production test. And, and, and that's cheap and easy and quick to do and gives great confidence then to the partners and planning next steps. A development uh, of such a large resource, um, that would obviously involve more than two wells, but like you said, you're going to flow test and, and do that sort of early work. What does a development look like to you? Or what could it look like? Uh, well, it's a large acreage, as, as I said. It's um, got a lot of prospectivity. I, I think, uh, you know, you'd, you'd use the production to fund the development of the field. And uh, we're very lucky, as I've mentioned already, to have a national oil company as our, as our partner. Uh, you know, they're not in it for nickels and dimes. Mm. Uh, you know, they're, they're in it for something of a scale that matters to a national oil company. So, you know, I would imagine that we would have a, a lot to discuss soon with them. Uh, but in my opinion and in, in, in view of what I see their objectives are and, and what our capacities are, let's just get some production going cheaply. And let's use that revenue to build this out over time and keep scaling it up over time. What's it like operating in Cuba? Um, I mean, wh where's this oil going to go? Depends what quality it is, Paul. Um, you know, the, the light of the crude, Cuba's domestic production is quite heavy. It's typical, you know, low teens, API, same as Venezuela, same as that part of the world, you know. And, and that's what their industry consumes. I mean, their electricity grid is probably 90 plus percent uh, oil fired. And so if it were to be heavy accrued like they're used to fi finding, then that, you know, it would probably just go straight into domestic consumption, I'd imagine. Um, but if it's lighter, you know, they had some serious foreign exchange earning consequences for them, which might mean exports and uh, foreign currency earnings. How easy is it to export oil from Cuba? Well, it's an island. Nothing's, nothing's far away, you know, especially on terms that we Australians are used to. Uh, you know, we've got a deep water oil terminal uh, called at Matanzas, uh, which is a town about half an hour's drive away from our block. Uh, there's a rail line, a pipeline that goes to there. There's an oil field immediately to our north, a small one called Mahagia. Um, it just trucks its oil from there to that deep water port around the corner. There's tank farms there at Varadero. The, the infrastructure's all there, sealed roads. It's, you know, it, it's not as big a consideration in Cuba as, as we have to do when we're working in Australia. Andrew, the, the Cuban domestic market for oil, I mean, what's their energy market made up of, if you like? What's their mix like and, and, and why is oil so important to, to Cuba? Uh, their energy, well, energy, electricity market is entirely, almost entirely oil-fired. There's some gas. They're trying to put some renewables into uh, work, and they've got significant ambitions to achieve by 2030. Uh, but it's oil-fired. You know, their, their lights come on because of their domestic oil production. In fact, they have to import 
as much oil as they produce. They need about 90,000 barrels a day. They produce 45. So the oil market's incredibly important to them. And that is, you know, why we were able to get such a generous PSC in terms of area and prospectivity uh, to try and help them develop that. Uh, Andrew, it's been an incredible 24 months, uh, not just for Melbana, but for the oil industry generally. Uh, we've seen uh, a, a transformation, if you like, across the oil sector. Oil prices have rebounded um, to highs that we haven't seen since, I don't know, 2014. Years, yeah. um, there's a global energy crisis across Europe and Asia. What does this tell us about the sustainability and security of the oil market going forward? Well, uh, it, you know, if you look at oil, it, it is, and I'm, you know, it's not my opinion. I mean, the IEA reports, the UK's Climate Change Committee reports, uh, the International Panel on uh, Climate Change reports, they all project that oil will continue to rise in the volume demanded from now out to 2050. The rate of increase of the demand plateaus, but it keeps going up. Uh, so you've got 95 thousand million 95 million barrels a day plus or minus demand in the world today and you've had this huge esg pressure put on it well initially going back to the period you talked about after it was last at those highs the lack of price has meant that the incentive to invest in oil exploration has diminished and then on the back of that you've had this wave of esg anti-investment uh, philosophy against oil which meant that the majors are pivoting, they're trying to do things that are more renewable, they're not spending as much on exploration. So the supply is not coming in and the demand is going up. You do the math, you know. <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? What's your outlook in the shorter term over the next, say, 12 months uh, for industry? I think, I think there's going to be, you know, where you're talking in the world, for a start, your questions may be best reduced to, in my case, to Australia. I think industry in Australia has got some, uh, you know, some, some exciting opportunities to pursue. There's great opportunity in this funding revolution for a renewable energy objective. And so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, the energy, the gas and the oil are going to be incredibly valuable. But there's a lot of people wanting the money to go another direction, so you don't want to stand in front of that mm. either. Then there's the offshore, you know, decommissioning uh, work that has, industry has to face up to too. These are all exciting challenges. If you look at them as exciting challenges rather than impediments, industries have to adapt and move, and, and, and this is the biggest one I've seen in my life. I think any of us have. So there's great opportunity as a result. We are out of time. Andrew Purcell, thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to talk to you again, Paul. Andrew Purcell is the Executive Chair at Melbana Energy. You can find out more about the company at melbana.com or, of course, by subscribing to energynewsbulletin.net. The company is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange under the ticker MAY. I'm Paul Hunt, Senior Journalist covering energy, commodities and mining at both Energy News and Mining Monthly. If you're interested in other long-form discussions about the energy industry, subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes accounts. We regularly post in-depth discussions ranging from roundtables and panel discussions to feature interviews like this one with leaders in the global energy industry.